the most well-known and well-beloved songs in Christendom, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's that amazing grace that we'll look at next here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We welcome you to our broadcast today and would invite you to join us here in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It's there that we pick up where we left off last time in our series called God's Amazing Grace. We'll take a look at the present grace found here in the verses before us and the fact that salvation is a genuine offer by God. And we've got a lot of scripture to cover, and we'll take a look at the appearing of grace, the sovereign grace, the saving grace, and sufficiency of all grace. All straight ahead. Join us, won't you, with this edition of Graceful Truth Now. Once again, our teacher and pastor, here's Steve Converse. Well, when you point out some of these things to someone who has a faulty idea of what grace is, they look at you and say, oh, you're just one of those legalists. Judge not, you know, and they quote all these verses about judging. Well, our text corrects both of these serious misconceptions of God's grace. That it's a bunch of rules somehow that you've got to earn your way to heaven, and on the other side that God's grace is a free pass. And so when we look here at verse 11, we see God's present grace. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God, His unmerited favor, has appeared. Or how has it appeared? It's appeared through who? Through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how it appeared. It's very clear. When Christ came to earth, he took on human form. He was the incarnation. He was God incarnate. God in a body. He took on a human body. And for the first time ever, God was here on earth walking and talking just like someone else. Another human being. And yet, being fully God, fully sinless in every way. Full deity of Christ was fused into his human body. And it says, when the grace of God are for or but, the grace of God has appeared. I mean, this is really the reason we do verses 1 through 11, or 1 through 10. He says, because I just told you all this stuff in verses 1 through 10, just remember, it's the grace of God that makes this happen. Because it's the grace of God that has appeared. Look at what it says, bringing salvation for all people. Now, some people have a problem with this verse because they have the faulty understanding that this teaches that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. And what happens is they fall into a universalist kind of mentality. And so then you get people on the other side that say, no, 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 you know, Christ died for this people. He didn't die for those people. And we get into this big argument theologically over the atonement of Christ. The one thing that's very clear is when Jesus taught about those who would believe in him, those who would follow him. Basically, you could summarize what he said. He said, if, if Jesus said, if you believe, then you are what? Then you are saved. If you do not believe, you are what? You are damned to hell. That's what the Bible clearly teaches over and over and over again. It doesn't really mention, Jesus doesn't start to talk about, well, how far does the atonement go? When we're out sharing Christ with someone who's not a a believer, we don't need to wonder, boy, are they one of the elect or not? That's not what we're called to do at that point in moment. 
From the standpoint of a sinner, the atonement extends to him by the virtue of faith. Very clear you understand this. And it's also closed out to him by the virtue of faith or by unbelief. So if the sinner is willing to believe in Christ, then he will be granted salvation. If he's unwilling, then he will not. You will die in your sins because you do not believe in him. You didn't believe in his sacrifice for you. Over in the Gospel of John, as you read through, you can turn to John chapter 6, but John chapter 3, when he starts sharing the Gospel, when he starts being evangelistic, when he's talking to unbelievers, he doesn't mention anything about the eternal elective purpose of God. He doesn't make any decree from God declaring that God may not have died for you. No, he doesn't say that at all. See, it's not the job, our job, to discover whether someone's chosen or whether they're not. That's a matter of faith. It's a matter of belief. In John chapter 6, Jesus very clearly points out, and he says there in John 6, he says, all that the Father gives to me, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And he also says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast out. Notice that word, whosoever or whoever. Particularly here in the, in the Gospel of John, it's probably one of the most evangelistic Gospels there is of the four. It's written so that people might believe in Jesus Christ, that people might come to faith, that people might come to understand that he's the Son of God. There's a cry of faith for faith, for people to express their faith. And so when we confront a sinner, what we say to them is the same thing that Jesus said, the same thing the apostles said. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That includes repentance. It includes turning from sin. It includes being submissive to the Lordship of Christ. That's looking at it from the sinner's side. And the reason I'm saying this is because sometimes we get so caught up in the doctrine of God's election, which is a very biblical doctrine, that we forget that God cares for the sinners who are lost. We think, hey, I'm part of the elect. The others aren't, I guess. Oh, well, what do I got to do about it? God's got it all worked out in heaven. Oh, well. Nothing for me to do here, I guess. I'll just pack my bag and go home. Wait for him to return and go to glory. We have to look at it from both sides. And there's a tension there. We get caught up in the debate of whether the atonement of Christ is limited or unlimited. And I'll share with you what the Bible teaches. But I want you to understand, salvation comes down to a matter of faith. Our God is a saving God. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In John chapter 3, verse 14, it tells us that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and it says, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And then it says in verse 15, that whosoever, what, believes may in him have eternal life. Whoever believes. It doesn't say that the elect believe. It says whoever. Verse 15, it makes it very, very simple. Verse 16 goes on. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 goes on. It says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So there you go again, the same thing. God loved the world. God sends Christ into the world to die for the sins of the world so that the world would be saved through him. 
by believing in his sacrifice. It's, it's abundantly clear that the scripture calls the sinner to believe. It's a matter of faith. You don't have to discover whether the atonement is for you or for somebody, or you're a part of the elect or not. It doesn't call us to that. It's not even on the radar screen for an unbeliever. In the sixth chapter of John, verse 51, Jesus says this, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone, anyone, eats of this, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for him for the life of the world is my flesh. See, there's an extent in which God's grace even reaches the world. In chapter 1 of John Verse 29, it says, The next day, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said this. Look at what he said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. I mean, John knows what he means by world. When he says God so loves the world, he takes away the sin of the world. I mean, it's a very straightforward statement. Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Right now, you're probably wondering, where's he, where's he going with this? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, speaking of reconciliation, Paul is speaking here, and he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, look at, in Christ, God was reconciling, what? The world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Then verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors, we're representatives for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Look at what it says. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, it's not, the question is not who's elect and who's not. That's not the question. The question is, do you know that Christ died for your sins. And are you willing to believe by faith in that truth? 1 Timothy, look at this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Follow along, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. It says, For there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and men. Only one. Not many, one. They don't have saints and all these other people in there. No, there's only one mediator. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The man Christ. And look at what it says in verse 6. Who gave himself as a ransom for all. Very unqualified statement here. That's what it says. Look over at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole what? world. Now, if you're just going to focus on those verses and you're going to read those verses, you're going to have to conclude that Jesus died for the world. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at what it says in verse 10. Because we want to take the whole of Scripture, right? 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. This is Paul once again writing to Timothy. He says, For to this end we toil and we strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of what? Of all people especially, look at what it says, of those who believe. Interesting. You have a little qualifier there all of a sudden. He's the Savior of all men, but especially of those who believe. Very important verse. See, you have to understand that to some degree, all men enjoy some degree 
of the saving power of God. If they didn't, we wouldn't be here. It's what we call common grace. If this wasn't true, the minute we sin, God would just snuff us out. If this wasn't true, Paul wouldn't tell the, un, the, the believing wife that, you know what, your, your husband is, is set apart because of your belief. I'm not saying he's saved, but he will reap the benefits of living in a, a household who is under God's blessing because of the woman's belief. So it's kind of an interesting dilemma here. So we ask the question, God has sent Christ to be the Savior. It says that he's the Savior of all men in most of the verses we just read, but we just saw one here. It said, especially of those who believe. This is, this is so important that we understand this at the very foundation of our faith. Because we need to believe that, you know what? When we tell a sinner that, you know what? The Bible says whosoever believes, puts their faith in Christ, will be saved. You have to believe that to your, at your very core, that that's, that's true. You're not telling them a lie. You can't be telling them that and then saying, well, you know, hopefully you're one of the elect, because if you're not, well, too bad. <laughs> See, there's, there's, there's two sides to this, and we want in our logic to bring them together, and God says, no. <laughs> no, you can't. You don't have my mind. My ways are not your ways. There are some mysteries that are hidden from you, and they will con- be continually hidden from you. Dabney, he wrote a book called The Five Points of Calvinism, and he wrote this, Christ's sacrifice has certainly purchased for the whole human race a merciful postponement of the doom incurred by our sins, including all the temporal blessings of earthly life, all the gospel restraints on human depravity, and the sincere offer of heaven to everyone. For but for Christ, man's doom would have followed instantly after his sin, as that of the fallen angels did. See, immediately after the angels sinned, Lucifer and his bunch, a third of the angels, they they turned their hearts against God. What happened to them? Immediately they were judged. Immediately. They were cast out of heaven. There was no, okay, let's see if they're going to experience the grace of God. No, there is no grace for them. The angels can't be saved. That's something that's unique to us. What he's saying here in that quote is that Christ, in some form, we would call that form a temporal blessing of the gospel, blessed the world. Because if it weren't true, sinners would not be alive and walking around today. It rains on the what? The just and the unjust. The angels don't have that prerogative. There's no salvation for them. They sinned and immediately they were damned. So there's a sense in the saving work of Christ that it literally delivered, even temporarily, a judgment for all. I mean, that's what the Day of Atonement was all about in the Old Testament, right? Yom Kippur basically covered the nation. God forgave their sins as a nation and set aside his judgment. It didn't guarantee everybody's salvation. That's a matter of faith. That's a matter of election. But it did cover them that they weren't... immediately under the wrath of God, under God's judgment. And I think that's what we're reading when we read in 1 Timothy 4. The death of Jesus Christ was this gracious, merciful act, and its benefits extend to the whole world. And it even gives them blessing upon blessing because they're not instantly just burned up because of their sinfulness. They receive a temporary blessing. He delivers the unregenerate from instant death, something he didn't do for the angels. So what this points us back to is that our God is a Savior. 
Our God loves us. Our God is gracious to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at this verse, another interesting verse. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. It says there, though he saved the whole nation, he was not pleased with most of them. But he gave them opportunity to what? Repent. Nevertheless, the most of, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Most of them he was not pleased. See, God saves all men in a, in a temporal sense, but he saves believers especially, back to that verse we saw. Not just in a temporal sense, but in a spiritual sense, and in an eternal sense. So you say, well, was the death of Christ, the atonement of Christ, limited? Or did he die for the sins of the whole world? Did he pay for the sins of the whole world? It's very important to understand that when we speak of the atonement of Christ, of him actually paying a a fine that we owed, he paid the fine in full. The only way that you can benefit from his death on the cross is by expressing your faith to follow him. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, you know what? Therefore you are without excuse. You are without excuse. Every man of you who passes judgment, for in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you yourself judge, who judge, practice the same things. And we know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And then he says there, he says, do you suppose, O man, when you pass judgment upon those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Who do you think you are? Then verse 4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Don't you understand that the kindness of God leads you to what? Repentance. See, our God is a loving God. Our God is a gracious God. It's the kindness of God by his grace that leads us to repentance. Get out of your mind that God's up there with a big hammer waiting for you to sin just so he can squash you like a bug and kick you through the gates of hell saying, yeah, you got what you deserve, pal. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God of the Bible. God's temporary kindness, his mercy, his patience, his forbearance is constantly leading people to repentance. But instead of repenting, they are stubborn. They're unrepentant. And they... The Bible says they store up wrath for the day of wrath when God will make all things right according to his justice. The point simply is that every man knows that they're a sinner, whether they believe it or not. And God one day will judge that. One day, God's mercy, God's grace will no longer be available. Look over at John 15. John 15, verse 13. It says, Their greater love, Jesus said, had no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And then look at what he says. You are my friends, if what? If you do what I command you. Well, what does he command? He commands you to believe and you'll be saved. He commands you to repent, to follow him, to obey him. If you do that, you're counted as one of his friends. If you do that, it says he lays down his life for his friends. Well, who are his friends? They're the people who come to him and believe in him. In verse 15, he flips it over. He says, by the way, you didn't choose me. What? I chose you. Wow. Okay. Here we go. 
Now we got both sides kind of laid right out there. See, it's a matter of faith. But it's also a matter of divine choice. Romans 3.26 says that He is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The one who obeys the command to repent, believe, follow, submit, is the one who is in faith. 1 John 1.9 says if we confess our sins, what? He's faithful, He's just to forgive us our sins. The one who believes, the one who repents, the one who follows, the one who has faith, who confesses that faith, is the one who enters into that reconciliation with God. Whosoever believes in Him should not, what? Perish, but have eternal life. The word atonement in the Old Testament was never really specific. Like when you speak of the day of atonement, it doesn't actually mean a saving atonement. As we spoke about young Kippur, it kind of just put off God's justice. It was used in more of a moral sense. There was a provision that was made in the Old Testament, right? The priest went to the altar. What did he do? He made sacrifices. Did any of those sacrifices ever save anybody? No, not at all. It just kind of temporarily relieved them from God instantaneously judging them because they were looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. See, God doesn't work on the merit system, beloved. He works on the substitutionary system. He says, you know what? You might deserve this, but I'm going to substitute the righteousness of my own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect in every way, and he has perfect, complete righteousness, and I'm going to place that on you, even though you don't deserve it. And I'm going to do that through my grace. By mercy, I'm not going to withhold the judgment that you deserve and I'm going to apply to you the righteousness of my son even though you don't even deserve it. That's what it speaks about in the New Testament when it talks about in Romans 5.11 when it talks about reconciliation. See, you have to understand that the atonement of Christ was not some general atonement. It wasn't some general provision that God made for everybody in the entire world. Because if Christ paid for the sins of everyone in the entire world, you would have to be a universalist. Meaning that you wouldn't believe in hell, you would believe that everybody was saved. Or God could not be a just God. Because you would have people, if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole entire world, all their sins are paid for, then you would have Some people who are going to be in hell with their sins having been paid for by Christ and yet enduring for all eternity the wrath of God. That's injustice. We don't serve that kind of a God. You have to believe that the atonement of Christ was not general. It was particular. It was specific. When Jesus died on the cross, he just didn't die for everybody. He died for you. He died for me by name. He knows our sins. He knows our iniquities. And yet he still bore them on the cross for us. Quoting from Dabney again from his book, he says, There are as many atonements as there are true believers in heaven and earth. Each one individual. The word means to be reconciled. When you're reconciled with God, the only way that could happen is your sins are forgiven. The only way they can be forgiven is your faith is put in a sacrifice that was made on your behalf. Is the atonement of Christ limited? Even those that don't believe in the limited atonement would have to say that it is, or you would have people in hell who had their sins paid for, who were paying for their sins. 
double jeopardy. That doesn't make any sense. That's not justice. That's a mockery of justice. See, the difference being is faith. It's faith. That's why when we go out of this place and we go out into a lost and dying world and we're sharing the gospel with those who've yet to believe, we don't have to talk about election. We don't have to talk about the atonement of Christ as far as whether it's particular. No, what do we have to tell them? You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand that he paid for your sins. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.